Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be back with you today. We are happy to have you with us here today as well. Um, hopefully, you are excited to be here as we start this new series called um, from the book of Exodus called The Human Story. And each one of you in here, um, you have a story. I think you're all awake right now, at least to start the day, right? Are we, are we, I think we're awake. Three of you are awake. The rest of you are already asleep. Um, Reed, um, I'm blaming you this week, I guess. There you go. Uh, did you ever wonder, as Reed, sometimes, sometimes th- this is an aside here, right? I shouldn't do things like this. Just every once in a while, you feel good when you see somebody else, uh, that they, they lose their track of mind, and I'm like, ah, it's not only me when I speak. See that? that? There you go. Um, and don't know what I'm going to say. The words, what's that? What is that? A dr- what is that? A food train? A uh, I, and the food list, I, I don't know. Anyway, Reed, I'm setting myself up as I pick on you this morning, so that's normal. That's the way that, uh, that's the way that we go with that. Human life, all right, the human story. Here I am, and I'm already making a mess of it as we get started, but we're going to take a look at this thing called the human life, the human story, and we're going to look at it from the book of Exodus. And the reason that we're going to look at it from the book of Exodus is because we believe that there is information there that we learn from, all right? And as we jump back to our, as we jump back to Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, so if you have your Bible here this morning, I would encourage you, you're going to want to take it, you're going to want to open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to go through chapter one this morning there in the book of Exodus, but we will have the words up here. I would also encourage, if you don't have your Bible, use your, use your phone, um, app on your phone if you want to use that as well. But when we start this, and I, and I want to start this by, by talking a little bit about our Old Testament. Um, I, I, I love what we call our Old Testament. Uh, I am very thankful to a professor that I had in, in seminary that um, really explained, brought that alive to me in my life, helped me understand the importance of the Old Testament in our lives. Uh, as a matter of fact, a number of years ago, the, a, church that I, a church that I was a youth pastor at, uh, we used to laugh because the, the two, um, Chris Tracy, my friend, who was a, an associate pastor there, and myself, Whenever we spoke, Chris would almost always speak out of the New Testament, out of the Pauline epistles. I would almost always speak out of the Old Testament. So we always, we considered ourselves the balance of each other because I was always Old Testament. He was always New Testament back and forth like that. But anyway, as I, as I say all that and as we take a look, just where did the Old Testament, why, why did it become important to us? Did you ever wonder about that? Did you ever think, um, why is the Old Testament important? Um, we pick up our Bibles and here we are 2,000 years after Christ. And uh, if you're familiar, if you grew up in church, you're familiar. Oh, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, and we just put it together. That's our Bible, and there we go. But, but where did the Old Testament become important to us? Think about it. If there was no resurrection, if Jesus had never resurrected, the Old Testament is of no importance to you and I. And, and why do I say that? Well, if Jesus hadn't resurrected, the story isn't of importance to us. But because it's the Old Testament is, was the Jewish scriptures, right? And the Jewish scriptures, if, if, if we want to just look at it, as a matter of fact, let me, let me just talk a little bit about the law and the prophets here, all right? So in the New Testament, in the time of Christ, he looked at these and he would refer to it as the law and the prophets. As a matter of fact, New Testament individuals referred to it as the law and the prophets. When they came and challenged Christ and said, teacher, you know the way of life. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And 
The second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he continues and says, such the, is what the law and the prophets hang on. That's from Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus is talking to them. The law and the prophets is what he was referencing. That's what we would call our Old Testament today. The Jewish scriptures following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, the Jewish scriptures become something that people started to look at. They were interested in them. And one of the reasons that they were interested in that is once Christ is resurrected from the dead, remember the day of Pentecost, which just happens weeks after the resurrection, they are standing at the temple, right? Which is going to be a Jewish congregation. And the the apostles are proclaiming, you crucified him. He rose again. We saw him. Repent. From your sins, in turn, our Messiah is here. And 3,000 men and women changed their lives that day and put their faith and trust in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. As a result of that, what is it? The Jews grabbed onto their scriptures and they started to look and say, how is it that we miss this? As Paul takes the gospel of Jesus Christ around the then-known world, and Paul and the other apostles take it around, and the world starts to change, and Gentiles, that's you and I, not Jewish, right, um, start to follow Christ, what do they become interested in? They become interested in the Jewish scriptures, and we become interested in the Jewish scriptures because they're there like, ooh, this talks about Jesus. Ooh, there's, point, there's spots here that talk about a coming Messiah. Ooh, there are parts here that the teachers of the law, they must have missed because they weren't aware of that. And suddenly, what we call our Old Testament became important. Prior to that, the Jewish scriptures are just scriptures that mostly, all right, the Jewish people read, and a few foreigners who were converting to Judaism. But for the most part, that's not something that's popular. So when we grab onto, 2,000 years later, our Bibles, and we pick them up, it's because the, the Old Testament was brought together with what we call our New Testament. The Jewish scriptures brought together with what we call our New Testament. Why? Because it's the Word of God. People started to realize, oh, whoa, whoa. Jews, you, you had it right. You missed the Messiah, but you had the right God. While the rest of the world was worshiping the river, or a river, or worshiping a sun, or worshiping a moon, or worshiping a spirit, or worshiping something else, you guys had it right. And they grabbed onto, and we started to learn, and we started to understand and look at our Old Testament. So as we pick this up this morning, we're going to take a look at the book of Exodus. And I just want you to know, as I say these words, I want you to think about these words. These are words that Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says this right here. He says, these things, all right? And he's talking back here when he says these things. Right here in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking backwards about some of the things that happened with the Exodus, with the children of Israel. He says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So what we are looking at this morning is something that can serve as an example to you and an example to me and a warning to you and a warning to me. And he goes, and he goes on and says, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. What are they talking about? He's talking about Jesus has come. All right, the culmination of the ages has come together here. So, you, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Paul goes on to say there that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will provide a way out so that you can stand up, so that we can be delivered from sin. 
All right, that's what Paul goes on. And as he's referencing this, and as he takes a look back at this, there's information that we can learn from. How is it that we can learn? How is it that our lives can be changed as a result of taking a look at a group of people almost 3,500 years ago? All right, a story roughly 3,500 years old. How is it that we can learn from that? Why? Because they were people. People like you and I, people with emotion, people with feelings, people made in the image of God, people that were mistreated, all right, people that were beaten, people that were abused, people that needed a deliverer. And I think that's something that we would find that we have in common. We need a deliverer. We need a savior. So just to pick up the story, even as our bumper is so well illustrated here, I want to take a look. I want to take us back to Abraham. It all started Genesis uh, chapter 12 when we have Abraham, and then bumping forward there, Genesis chapter 15. Abraham is given a, he is given a promise. He is given a covenant. God makes a covenant with him. And making that covenant and giving him a promise, he promises him land, he promises him seed, and he promises him blessing. Abram, I will give you land. You are going to have your own country. That is going to be yours. I am going to make of you a nation. You are, you are going to have, I said, your seed. There are going to be, you are going to multiply so big that, the star, that you're greater than the stars in the heaven. And then blessing. You will be a blessing to the entire world. That blessing was through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and blesses all people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations if they will put their faith, if they will put their hope, if they will put their trust in him. Land, seed, blessing. And this, is what G- and this is what God said to him. Know for certain that for 400 years in Genesis chapter 15, all right, so before any of this takes place, God says this to Abraham. Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. And God gives these words, but I, but I will step in. You see, God is going to, remember I mentioned a deliverer, we need a savior, but I, God says right there, there's difficulty, there's problems, but I, and that's the part that you and I, we come together with, right? In the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggles, we're looking for that but God moment. Where is it that God steps into time? Where is it that God steps into my life? Where is it that God steps into the history of us as an individual, as individuals, and makes a change? Does it happen? Does it occur? Well, let's take a look here in Exodus, all right? What gets us there is Abraham. So Genesis, we go through Abraham. Uh, Abraham has a son. His son is Isaac. Isaac has, a, Isaac has a couple of sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is going to be the one that is the chosen one. And Jacob is then going to have 12 sons. And the rest of Genesis goes through the story, a little bit of the story of those 12 sons, predominantly the story of Joseph. And Joseph, who many of you are going to be familiar with, is sold by his brothers because they're jealous of him, 
right? He is sold by, their brother, by his brothers into slavery, and Joseph is going to end up in Egypt. And through a series of events, Joseph goes from high to low to high to low, right? To high. Joseph goes from being sold by his brothers, gets taken down into Egypt where he's a slave. He becomes somebody that works in Pharaoh's house. But however, Pharaoh's wife accuses him falsely of something that he did not do. He ends up back in prison. And then as a result of that, God working through him, he becomes somebody that can understand visions, can understand what is going to happen. And again, he is promoted. And what does he do? He delivers Egypt and the then known world from a famine that was coming. And as a result, he rises to the highest of spots in Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. And when he rises to that location, great importance, his brothers come down, his, his family is reunited. And that's where we pick up the story of Exodus. If you want to get a time frame, it is roughly 1446 B.C. Um, if you're wondering how they come up with times like that, I don't know. We just put dates in places somewhere and things like that and say it's good enough. No. Um, there, I think it's Kings chapter 5, uh, second, excuse me, yeah, 1 Kings chapter 5, talking about, talking about Solomon and his reign. And they say 400 years prior to Solomon, 400, excuse me, 480 years, I believe it is, prior to the rule of Solomon that the nation of Israel was delivered, and they were delivered out of the hands of Egypt, all right? Putting us back to 1446 B.C., right in that range there. Um, I don't want us to get stuck on a date. I just like to sometimes give you a idea, an idea as to where the time frame is that this story is taking place. So roughly 3,500 3, years ago, we are talking about a story about a nation that was in captivity. And when we say, eh, I really hate history. If that is you, perk up a little bit because we're not going to go through the history. We're going to go through a story as to how God delivers, how God works, how God intercedes, how God moves, and God is there and he is able to do it then. He is able to do it today in your life. So in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, these are the words that are said right there. It goes like this. These are the names of the sons of Israel. All right, Israel is Jacob. All right, just so you know, when we read that here, Israel, that's Jacob. These are the names of the sons of Jacob, Israel, who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. All right, so this is how they go down. All right, they go down as a family, not a nation. And this is how it's told. It goes down, the next few verses go through the different names of all, each of the sons. And it says, these descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. So if you're looking at this, this is just a really large family reunion, right, that is gathering together. I don't know how big your family reunion is, but if your family reunion is like this, you've got a large group and you're there like, oh man, we're, we're almost as big as, as big as the nation of Israel was when they went down to Egypt because they were not a nation yet. They were a family. All right. God has said seed. I will make seed of you, Abraham. I am going to make you numerous. Seventy are what are going down. What takes place? Now Joseph, the passage continues on, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites, all right, that's their family, were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Remember, 
God said back in Genesis chapter 15, we're going to send you down there and it's going to be about 400 years that you are going to be there. So this is not taking place in a week, it's not taking place in a month, it's not taking place in a year, but it's taking place over decades, over years, over hundreds of years, where they are becoming so numerous, so many of them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing, right? History, they forgot it. We forgot all about who Joseph was. We forgot what Joseph had done. We forgot about his deliverance of, of the nation, of the nation of Egypt, but of all of the nations of the unknown world. And this new king, Joseph means nothing. He came to power in Egypt. And what does he do? He says, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, he continues on, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave our country. So the new king, the new pharaoh, he takes over and he sees this group of people and he sees them as a problem that are coming into, that are there in their land. They have been a part of us. They've been growing up around us. And while they are great for our economy, they are helping with the building. They are helping taking care of, taking care of the building of bricks, mortar, and all of that, all that we are doing. There's a problem. They're getting too strong for us. And if they're too strong for us, they will join our enemies, fight against us. So what does he come up with? He comes up with a plan. So they put slave, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, it continues on. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. Are you able to get the picture in your mind here as to what's taking place? Right? The nation of Israel, all right, this, this family that came down, 70 strong, has now grown so large that it's going to be, many are going to say that when they ex, the, the exodus takes place, 1.6 to 2.1 million, I believe, are the numbers that they talk about there, as to, who is, as to how many of them are leaving. Um, and, as, and as they leave, it's an amazing number, but that is the number that they are bringing up right now, that they have this strong of a number of people that are there. And they are trying to treat them. They are trying to work them hard. And they are trying to treat, as they treat them cruelly, this is, this is just make it, as a matter of fact, the passage continues on. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all the harsh labors um, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. They continued to just work them to the bone. They just continued to treat them evil, poorly, badly, beating them, getting the work done that they wanted done, making them do whatever it is that needed to be done there in Egypt to keep the economy going. That's the treatment of the people. Remember I mentioned that, they, that we are, and they were, in need of a deliverer. We're in need of a savior. And I want to take a look at our first point this morning is this, that sometimes life's situations can suddenly take us into captivity. What, what do I mean by that? That sometimes you are taken captive and it's not even through sin of your own. It's not even through things that you have done of your own that are wrong. It's just a part of life that has brought you into captivity. 
For some of you, it may be a job. For some of you, it may be a relationship. For some of you, it may be a situation that is occurring in your life. You have become captive. You have become slave to it. Not through any sin, not through any wrong of your own doing, but rather wrong of those that are around you. And it can be heartbreaking. It can be destructive. What's one of the areas that is so heartbreaking is the abuse of children, right? How about the sex trade industry? Through no wrong of their own, young people are taken and they are just taken captive. For some of us, it's not that dire, it's not that horrible. It's situations where we just start moving in a direction and it's not involving sin, but rather we become captive in a situation that becomes out of our control. Maybe it's that job that just continually takes, takes, takes. I, I don't know what it may be, but it didn't, start, it didn't start as sin, but rather it's just a life. And we become captive. And we need a deliverer. There's something else here that we need to be reminded of. And it's this. Sin. Sin subtly takes us into captivity. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes just life. It's not sin, but other times it's life. It's sin. It's the choices that we make that we know are wrong. And suddenly we think just a little, and suddenly we become trapped in that sin. That's where we need to be cautious in our lives. That's where we need to look at a story like this, and we need to be willing to learn. Am I becoming captive to the sin that is around me in my life? And when sin, sin moves in, remember, it just, it's kind of like Satan all the way back in the garden, right? It's kind of like the serpent in the garden when he just kind of made a little bit of a promise. Hey, uh, you're just going to be like God. Who wouldn't want to be like God? Come on. Did he really say? Did he really? Right? And sin just grabs onto us and we just say, just this one time. Anybody here ever tell a lie? Yeah, the problem with a lie is what? Yeah, I got to tell another one because I got to cover that one up, right? And then what do I have to do? I have to tell another one because I have to keep covering that up, right? And we understand that. And if you ever witness, if you've ever been the one lying to, or if you've been the one lie, if you've been the one that has done the lying, you're aware of that. You realize that. You realize, guess what? I just wanted to tell a little one. I didn't want anybody to, it was no big deal. And now all of a sudden, you're caught up in this whole problem that you've got to protect this situation. It happens to us. Why? Because sin wants to move in subtly. It wants to take us captive. And if we're not careful, we become enslaved by it. I want you to notice that life situations, all right, life situations can quickly turn from provider to oppressor. And not only can life situations quickly turn from provider to oppressor, but sin situations can quickly turn from provider to oppressor. And we need to be cautious. Sometimes in your life, we want to say that it's this right here, that it's life situations, when ultimately it's really this down here and it's us caught in sin. But we want to blame the life situations. Finances. Man, we shouldn't talk about finances, right? Right? What do we become? We become trapped in what? Debt. How do we become trapped in debt? Well, it's life situations. For some people, it is life situations. Medical problems, things that occurred that you just couldn't help. And you're like, ah, oh, I'm stuck. And now you're, and now you're, now that which was once a provider is an oppressor, right? The, that, that creditor, which was once a provider, is now an oppressor. And it just it may have just been no fault, nothing that you could have done 
tragedy, bad things happening in life, health situations, suddenly you're stuck and you're caught. For others of us, what is it? I'm stuck in the eye of I want more, right? My, my eyes are caught with the idea that more and more and more is better. And guess what? I got this credit card. It's 0%. Who wouldn't use that? I'm using their money for free. $50,000. Who wouldn't want to do that, right? And all of a sudden you're there like, whoop, you're up to your eyeballs in debt and you're there like, it's a life situation. No, it was really a sin that you, you wanted more, 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 and more, and you just kept getting yourself trapped in it. I say that. Not to, not to beat up on anybody. I say that as this right here. We need to be aware in our lives. What's the life situation? What's the sin situation? The nation of Israel right here in chapter 1 of Exodus, they're caught in a life situation. The story of Exodus is going to deliver us into times where they are caught in sin situations and need a deliverer. They need a savior. Why? Because they saw something and they wanted it and they went for it and they said, oh, I need that. But I want us to be aware in our lives. Sometimes, sometimes we need this deliverer. Sometimes we need a savior. We're in need of a savior for our sin. We're in need of a deliverer from the penalty of our sin. We want to be aware. We want to be careful. We want to walk in this world ready to follow our God. Be cautious. Be cautious. Sometimes it's so easy to look down the line and see somebody over here and say, ah, I know why they're struggling with that. It's because of their sin. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a life situation that has brought that on. Sometimes we can become so religious. We can become so uppity. We think that we have the answers and we let people know, I know why. It's because of that sin you'd call it. No, 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 no. Maybe it's life situation. Be careful in your own situation, though. Take a look. Where am I at? Am I struggling? Is it because of my own sin? Do I need to go to God and repent? Or is it a life situation where I have a deliverer that's coming? The king of Egypt continues, and he responds with this right here. The king of Egypt said, said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Puah, right? He goes and he tells them, he says to them, when you are helping, right, as he continues on, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. What's his solution? His solution is take the babies that are born. We're going to kill the boys. We're going to keep the girls. Why? Because we got to make this nation weaker. And that is what his desire is. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, they let the boys live. One of the things that I find interesting is, as, as we're talking in this passage right here, we, we are in need of a deliverer, and what, now the, the deliverer is thrown in there by me, all right, but come on, do you like that? With deliverers delivering right there? right? Um, but the deliverers right there, right? The deliverers come and what do they realize? They feared God. They realized that this was wrong. We will not do it. And, and in their fear of God, they make a decision. We will not follow through with this. We will not do with this. And I want you to know this, freedom in life, freedom in your life, freedom in my life begins with fearing God. And you know what? Freedom from sin begins with fearing God. 
For some of you, you may see that word and you may think, fearing God, why, are, why do I have to be afraid of him? Um, I want you to know that I am referencing the idea of reverence. We have a reverence, a fear of God that is a reverence for our God. Not a God that we have to stand back and be afraid of. Oh God, you're going to come and punish me because I just did something wrong. Oh no, and we sit back there and we're just so nervous all the time. It is not that idea. But rather a God that we revere. A God that we hold in high esteem. A God that we hold as a holy and righteous God. A God that is separate from us, not a God that is us, all right? Oftentimes we want to make ourselves our own God, our own deliverer, our own Savior, but rather freedom in this life. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, we are told, right? Fear of God. If we want life, we want to do life well, fear God. Freedom from sin begins with this fear, this reverence, this awe, being in awe, of a great God. Then the king, the story continues, then the king summoned the Hebrew uh, midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. They're there like, look, the deliveries are already taking place. We're not even there in time. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, because of the awe, the reverence that they had for God, he gave them families of their own. What about us? In the midst of life's situations, in the midst of life's difficulties, right? Right here in the midst of this situation, deliverers were brought to the Egyptian people. Hey, go and kill their kids when they're born. Kill them. But the deliverer came and they said, we will not do that. Right? They said, no, we will not. In the midst of life's difficulties, in the midst of life's situations, in the midst of life's brokenness, you and I, we need a deliverer. And God is stepping onto the pages of Exodus and he's letting them know, look, I will be a deliverer for you. I am here for you. I will deliver my people. We need a savior. Why? Because we're broken. We're dead in sin. We're told that all of sin and they fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That you and I, we fall short of what God's plan was. We fall short of what, his, of, what he, of what we need. We need to be perfect. And last I knew, there weren't any of us that were flowing around perfect. Some of you close. You know who you are. All right, not a chance. Oh, okay. A few not a chance, a few close, all right. No, we're, we're not even close, are we? We're broken. We're broken. In our sin, we needed a deliverer. And while we were still sinners, Christ sent that, excuse me, God sent that deliverer in his son, Jesus Christ. And he died for us. That's the way that God showed his love for us. In the book of Exodus, the human story, 
the story of life, the story of individuals that were coming out that, by, by the way, just put this away as you read this week. They were in Egypt, not in, by any wrongdoing of their own. They were beaten. They were mistreated, not by any wrongdoing, wrongdoing of their own but rather as an opportunity for God to deliver them. Think about that. When the disciples say to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his family, that he was born blind? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither, but that the glory of God may be revealed in his life. And what took place here in their lives? And maybe the difficulty in your life, maybe the difficulty that is taking place in my life, maybe the struggle that you are going through right now in your situation is so that the glory of God may show up in your life, in your world, and you might realize and you might become stronger in your faith with God. Why? Because you realized that there was a deliverer. Because you knew that you needed a Savior. Well, let's jump back to where we started, Genesis chapter 15. You see, in that passage right there, God's speaking to Abram, Abraham again. Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Remember that, but I, here's the moment that God will step in, but I punish the nation they serve as slaves. God will come back and he will have his revenge. He will take place, he will take care of the nation of of Egypt, which is holding them as slaves, which is mistreating them. And not only is he going to do that, he is going to plunder them through this process. The human story is a human story of redemption. A story of God working in the lives of his people to deliver them, to bring them closer to him, to bring us closer to an understanding that we have a God who, guess what? Who loves us. Remember, Paul says it, our God is for us. Think about this. When this is spoken back in Exodus, back 1,400 years before Christ, you know what the gods were? People were there to serve the gods. They sacrificed their children to the gods. Guess what changed that? God Later on, Christianity, they start to realize, oh, no, no, we don't have to sacrifice people. We don't have to sacrifice our children to make the gods happy with us. But rather, we have a God who sent his son. You see, Judaism had a respect and honor of people. Why? Because they were made in the image of God. God says right here, I will punish that nation that mistreats you, that treats you as slaves. slaves." So my question as we close our time together this morning is, who or what is your deliverer? Is it your strength? Is it your mind? Is it your ability to outsmart others? Is it your craftiness? Is it your cunningness? Is it your finances? Is it the strength of the people around you? What, what is it? Who, who or what is your deliverer? Who or what do you count on as your Savior? I'd like to invite you into the human story where the deliverer and the Savior come from our God. Because our God is there. He is ready to deliver. He sent His Son as our Savior. I would encourage you, 
wherever you may be in that walk of life, that you would view him as your deliverer, as our Savior. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time this morning, we are reminded that you are a good and gracious God. Lord, we are reminded that you stepped into time. You have stepped into history to deliver men and women, boys and girls, from our greatest problem. And Lord, that greatest problem was a sin problem. And yet, Lord, we are reminded that you are a God who not only delivers us from our sin, but you deliver us from the situations that sometimes entangle us. Lord, I just ask that you would encourage each one here this morning, that we would desire to walk with you, that we would desire to follow you, that, Lord, we would take our trust off of ourselves as the thing, oh, Lord, I got to work my way through this, but rather that I would take my eyes off of myself as my deliverer, as my Savior, and I would put them on you. Because, God, you are worthy of all that is in me. You are worthy of my praise. Lord, I pray for each of the individuals here this morning. I say thank you for them. Thank you for those that come and just join with us regularly. Thank you, Lord, that you are working in our lives. And Lord, no, we are not perfect, but God, hopefully we are growing each and every week, each and every day, looking to be more and more like you, looking to be more and more dependent on our God because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of of our honor. God, I say thank you that you are a great God. And I pray now, Lord, that you would bless and encourage each one here. Lord, may we go this morning knowing that we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine through the power that is at work in your Son, Jesus Christ, in our lives. May we trust that. May we believe in that. May we follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Before we get into uh, our last song, there's a, a